Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. This is a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. And we're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. We stand in the river of a strong tradition teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everybody. And so it is in that heritage that I stand when I say to you, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek to find, and to share. Our call to reading this morning is a quote from Frederick Douglass. I prayed for freedom for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. People ask how, in a congregation with no creed and with people who come from the background of all the major world religions, including secular humanism, atheism, neo-paganism, how do you hold together? What holds you together? Well, the answer is long and, to me, interesting, um, especially if I'm giving it. One of the things that holds this congregation together is its mission statement, which we wrote on the wall and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading from this morning is also from Frederick Douglass. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, and it may be both a moral and a physical one, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without demand. It never did, and it never will. Now is the time in our service when we breathe deeply together approaching the stillness. We follow our breath as it gives life to our bodies. We quiet our minds until we can get a glimpse of that still place. It is in the stillness that we become wiser more able to bear suffering and joy. Clearer, kinder. Let us enter into the silence together. I long to know what the U.S. would be like if we had never made it legal to capture, import, and own other people. Agriculture would have developed 
differently. The distribution of wealth among us would be different. Most of us carry the psychological scars of it. I spent part of my childhood in the early 60s in North Carolina, and I was taught about the institution of slavery. Most people were kind to their slaves, I was told. After emancipation, many chose to stay with their masters whom they loved. They didn't want to leave. Lincoln freed the slaves with the Emancipation Proclamation. I always pictured this proclamation being read out loud in the, in the town squares and uh, joyous black faces and emotional white faces as they said, So long, it's been great having you. I really didn't think about it much because I had the privilege of not thinking about it much. Little white children don't have to notice stuff if they don't want to. I remember the first time I heard the phrase, enslaved men and women. It woke something up in me. Instead of saying slaves, as if this were a peculiar category of human beings, a category easily made into an abstraction, these were women and men who had been enslaved. And I suppose what it said to me was, I am not a slave now, but there is a process called enslavement, and I could become enslaved at any moment. Uh, would that make me a slave instead of who I am now? Well, kind of, but it's good to remember the process in your language. Juneteenth celebrations are next Saturday. In Austin, there's a parade, a gathering in the park, beauty contests, and barbecue. It is the way regular Texans celebrate stuff. It's a holiday here and in Oklahoma, not anywhere else in the country. Other states do have Juneteenth celebrations, though. The celebrations commemorate the beginning of the enforcement of the Emancipation Proclamation in Texas. See, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't free that many people when it was first proclaimed. Lincoln wanted to free all the enslaved men and women gradually because, you know, that's how we like to do things, gradually. And he wanted to compensate financially the people who had thought of themselves as owning these other people for their loss of what they thought of as their property. The Emancipation Proclamation was punitive in nature. It happened right after the Battle of Antietam in Maryland, September of 1862, where 22,717 young men slaughtered each other in a cornfield on one day. 22,000 people in one day. Lincoln wrote the proclamation after that, and he said, as of January 1st, 1863, a couple months after Antietam. All enslaved men and women in states that are in rebellion against the Union will be freed. Now, the states that were thinking of themselves as Union states, their slaves were not freed. If any Confederate state had repented and rejoined the Union... 
the enslaved men and women in that state would not have been freed. Needless to say, no one in the rebelling states recognized the authority of Lincoln to proclaim anything, and the lives of the enslaved men and women in those states stayed pretty much the same except just add war to it. I had always been taught that the war ended with Lee's surrender at Appomattox in 1865. Not really. It's a lot more complicated than that. Whenever you hear somebody say, boy, in the past things used to be simpler, that's just because you've forgotten all the complicated parts. (laughs) Lee surrendered his army, the Virginia armies, in 1865 in April. Other armies, uh, Confederate armies in Florida and uh, other states surrendered uh, close to that same day, but others kept fighting you know, <laughs> the Texas ones. The spread of the institution of slavery into the states, or soon-to-be states, west of the Mississippi, was also complicated. It had been resisted. I'll just tell you about Kansas. About 10 years before the surrender at Appomattox, Kansas was um, fighting internally. There were free soil Kansans, and then there were pro-slavery Kansans. And the pro-slavery people said, you know, if you move to Kansas, you should be able to bring all your stuff with you, including the enslaved men and women that you thought of as part of your stuff. And the free soil Kansans said no But they didn't say no because they thought slavery was a horrific institution. They said no because it wasn't fair that people who had already paid for their laborers could bring them with them and therefore have free laborers to work the soil. They could could buy bigger tracts of land and make more money, and it wasn't fair to the people who had to pay their workers. Nobody looks good in this thing. So, Unitarians are involved in this. How um, a lot of Unitarians were abolitionists, not the American Unitarian Association, did not come out as anti slavery. But um, because, you know, Boston is built on money from slavery, and many of the cities in the North who like to think of themselves as so enlightened, have racism that is as bad or worse than the racism anywhere else. Um, But Ralph Waldo Emerson and his friends raised money to buy arms for John Brown, who in the 1850s was a guy who thought that you had to overthrow the institution of slavery by force if necessary. Sometimes the struggle is physical, as Frederick Douglass said. And I'm not sure how Emerson and his friends felt hearing the news that in Kansas, John Brown's followers had slaughtered a family of five uh, slave, pro-slavery Kansans. Horace Greeley, who worked at the New York Times, 
Horace Greeley's father, Horace Greeley Sr., had been the um, first president of the American Unitarian Association. But Horace Greeley at the New York Times uh, coined the phrase bleeding Kansas because of this bloody struggle. Anyway, after Lee's surrender, the Union troops, who were already in the southern states, began to protect the newly freed men and women who were struggling to make a life. Um, The government had promised some land. They were like, you know, we'll take the land away from the plantation owners and we'll give it to you all. Um, They did. They gave about 22,000 acres, maybe, in um, low country South Carolina to some families, but then President Jackson took it back a couple of years later. But so after the surrender in Appomattox, there was protection for people in the South who were newly freed and struggling to make a life. But um, there were Confederate armies that hadn't surrendered yet. Kirby Smith's army in Texas surrendered um, in May 26th. Officially, that was signed June 2nd, so that's a a month after Appomattox. The last battle of the American Civil War was the Battle of Palmito Ranch in Texas on May 12th and 13th. The last significant Confederate active force to surrender was the Confederate-allied Cherokee Brigadier General Stan Wadey and his Indian soldiers on June 23rd. Why were the Cherokees fighting with the Confederates? Well, my friends, in case you don't know, the Cherokees were slave-owning people. So when I first started to do research about Juneteenth, it, it sounded strange. It was like all the other slaves were freed, and it wasn't until two and a half years later that slaves in Texas found out that they had been freed. But that's not how it went at all. The proclamation came out, but it didn't free anybody at the time. The war still had to happen, and it wasn't until um, really a couple of days after the surrender of Kirby Smith's troops that June 19th came. It wasn't a couple of days. It was like 23 days. Um, So no one was free at all until Appomattox. And then uh, Union soldiers, General Granger and his 2,000 soldiers sailed into Galveston, uh, landed on Galveston Island, while the war was still in its last gasps. So he brought order number three, with the following statement informing the enslaved men and women of their new status as freed Americans. Quote, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and free laborer. So those federal troops arrived to begin enforcement of the new law that was also just being enforced in other states as well. Uh, The Stars and Stripes were raised over Austin June 25th. So today we celebrate the freedom of those who were enslaved and were freed. But my friends, no one helped them. Here you are, 
You are free. I'm going to stop feeding you now. Make some money somehow. Although nobody's going to pay you. Nobody's going to hire you. People are pretty hostile toward you. Go make a life. Some people went to the native tribes and made a life there. Some people went to Mexico, made a life there. Other people started a life of sharecropping, which is an ancient tradition called feudalism, or, you know, you, you stay on the land where you were and you get a portion of the crops and you give the owner of the land the rest of the crops and uh, he or she sells those and you get your portion. But, you know, what you live on during the year is a loan from the owner of the crops. And so once you um, harvest your crops, pretty much then you pay off your loan if you're lucky (coughs) and then it starts all over again. It was a good way to stay poor, but stay alive. We all know that land is the basis of wealth. Land ownership is the basis of wealth. And very few black folks were allowed to own land. White settlers were given land, not black settlers. Some uh, black men and women went to work on the cattle ranches. Some went to fight Indians. Some black families were given land, and they were able to make wealth generations beyond. White people were able to buy houses wherever they wanted to. And it was really fairly recently that black homeowners have been able to buy wherever they wanted to if they even can now. The brave of old, given a sudden gift of freedom, were sometimes able to make good choices and strike good luck. And even though most were not helped and were in fact opposed at every turn by separate but equal schools with old textbooks and holes in the roof, by Jim Crow laws denying them access to culture, by racist violence to keep them in their places. So glad that's over. My friends, we still see it every day. We still see the results of these terrible years every day. Let us be the ones to offer help. You are doing something marvelous by helping Sulma, who has had to start again with nothing, by helping her stay alive by offering sanctuary to her in this church. I hope you've been able to see the news stories about what you are doing. Let us be the ones who stand against systematic burdening of people of color in our midst. It's time for things to be fair. We can't make it happen. But as allies, those among us who are white can stand by and ask, what would you like us to do? Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice.
We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. Day is a breaking in my soul. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.